welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And unfortunately, if you've been following on social media, you know that Brenna has a family emergency, so she is going to be taking some time off from the pod, and I'm going to be inviting some special guests to come and join me. And first up, we have the lovely Jan Adams. Hi, Jan. Hi. Oh, so excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. So listeners, you may remember Jen from our episode on Moxie. That's right. (laughs) And uh, originally, Brenna and I had plans to do do revenge on the podcast but the timing didn't work out so when she had to step away i thought you know what jen and i should cover do revenge because (laughs) it is such a perfect you film it is a very jen movie yes (laughs) (laughs) so before we jump into it i'm just going to quickly acknowledge that uh my portion of the podcast is created on the traditional lands of the haudenosaunee the huron-wendat and the anishinaabe on lanes connected to the toronto purchase treaty 13 of 1805 and Do Revenge is set in Miami, which is the home of the Seminole, Taino, Tequesta, Mikosiki, and Muskoga people. I spent 17 years meticulously curating the perfect life. I had the perfect friends, the perfect boyfriend. Maybe you could send me something to keep me company. But you know where all of that got me? Absolutely destroyed. Max ruined my life. He'll never get away with this. Hey, do you want a ride? I know what it's like to get fucked over by someone you thought you could trust. Carissa Jones, she started a nasty rumor about me. She told everyone that I tried to hold her down and kiss her. Turned me into this predator. She destroyed me. I wish we could hire people to take them down. We should team up and do each other's revenge. Don't you want to make her pay? I don't want to make her pay. I want to burn her to the ground. Whoa. <laughs> You're giving off some serious Glenn Close and fatal attraction energy. Glenn energy. You ready to be my woman on the inside? Ooh. Your new vibe is high status cunt. Do you love it? You love it. Let's start with Carissa. She'll be a cinch. I can ruin her in my sleep. Why will Carissa be easy? It is much easier to destroy a girl. Carissa, right? We've met before. You called me a human Birkenstock. Cool. Dudes? That's another story. I just want to say how sorry I am for what happened to you. It's in your honor that I'm founding a new club. The Cis Hetero Men Championing Female Identifying Students League. going to expose that he's a fake woke misogynist hypocrite and then we're gonna kill him you're not serious (laughs) no i'm not fucking serious teenage girls we're psychopaths she framed me Jen, I'm very curious. If you had to give like a plithy tagline to do revenge, how would you describe it to people? Hmm, I think I would describe like ladies seek well-deserved revenge, but end up finding out that it is toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah. Because this this is a really interesting film Mm -hmm. with 
regard to like feminism and female friendships, right? Because Mm -hmm. we see these two girls, Drea, who is the scholarship student played by Camilla Mendez from Riverdale. Mm -hmm. And she's befriended by Nora slash Eleanor, who is played by Maya Hawk. And these two have such good chemistry right from the top, right? Mm -hmm. So we want them to be friends. We delight when they decide to team up and take down each other's enemies. And then somewhere along the line, you realize, oh, Nora has actually been playing Drea the entire time because Drea is her actual nemesis. So then we have to undergo the reversal of female friendship. And then they come back together at the end to take down Max, who is Drea's evil ex, who is the individual who leaked her sex tape. And they basically decide it's like girls before bros. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's a, a very succinct synopsis of this. Yeah. And that and what I love is, I think where this movie ends, you know, I think the themes that it is bringing out is that one leaking a sex tape is I think a lot more important than a lot of the piddly stuff that I think Drea is frustrated with, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's that's not petty revenge. And I like that. That's what we come back to as like, one of the important themes and also like you know how i just want them always to be friends and hang out and be nice and i love that that's where we end up you know is that they realize (laughs) that their friendship is more important than this you know yeah i know if brenna were here she would definitely want to talk about the fact that we we get to see both sides of female friendships here like the mm-hmm. sort of petty revenge that girls execute on each other for things like we hung out for a year and you didn't celebrate my birthday mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff but also how satisfying it can be to watch people realize you know what our friendship is actually more important than boys than popularity than getting into Yale even and mm-hmm. it sounds trite but i still feel like we just don't get enough films that recognize the value of platonic friendship totally i was expecting like we do have our little romantic side plots which are sure they're fun they're fun but i love that there's never really any romantic tension between the two of them which they easily could have done Mm -hmm. um and that it really is just like they realize that this revenge seeking that they're doing doesn't make them feel good. Hanging out with each other is what makes them feel good, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think that this film necessarily lands its last act. It feels a little bit much when Mm -hmm. Nora kind of reveals herself and she's broken into Drea's house and she's threatening to plant drugs on her mom and get her fired from her nursing job and she hits her with a car so she goes into the hospital like that to me was taking things a step too far in what had previously been a kind of not light but more enjoyable film Mm -hmm. like it takes a to me, too dark a place. So I was happy to see them sort of come back to this and say, you know what, we know what you want is to see the girls come back together to team up against Max. And Mm -hmm. I like that even if I feel that the resolution where Max is just publicly disgraced isn't strong enough for me. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we hear anecdotally from Sarah Michelle Gellar's headmistress that he has not been accepted to Yale and that she might get in instead. And Sure, that's fine, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it needed something punchier, and I didn't want it to go to that dark a place before him. Yeah, the the Max storyline, it's really dark. 
like I could make the argument that as a mom of kids who are nearing high school, this is a horror movie. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh my God. Like watching this and watching things like uh, Euphoria. Mm-hmm. I am never sending my kids to high school. Because just <laughs> <laughs> like the casual, I don't, it's not casual at all, but like this right. is a leaked sex tape and it seems like. It's just another thing that happens. And part of me thinks, is the movie itself not taking it as seriously as I want it to? Or is Mm -hmm. it the fact that this is the culture of high school now and that that is not as shocking as it would be when I was in high school? You know, like those things didn't exist when I was in high school. It was like Kim Kardashian was leaking her sex tape and that was in Paris Hilton and that was it. It it was celebrity figures who were doing it to become more rich, more famous. And I think we even lacked the kind of discourse. Like we didn't have the right language to talk about it. Like I remember thinking it was funny when celebrity sex tapes were being leaked because I thought, oh, how relatable content, you know, they like to have sex. They like to film themselves. Let's all have a laugh at their behalf. And now I'm Mm -hmm. like, what a total invasion of privacy. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's part of me, like, I hate to say this, but there was part of me back then, I think I was conditioned to think, oh, well, they were they deserved it. They asked right. for it by making mm-hmm. a tape in the first place. And that's obviously not true at all. But no. I think that that was the culture back then. And now, yeah, I mean, it is a complete invasion of privacy. And the way that Max is treated like the victim in all of this and not Drea infuriated me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I... I loved that because it was so infuriating but Mm -hmm. also because it felt so real like folks this is a a strongly r-rated netflix film so there's a lot of cuss and there's a lot of offensive language but there's something to be said when drea and nora are having that conversation about what happened to max as the boy who leaked the sex tape compared to drea the woman Mm -hmm. whose sex tape was leaked without her consent and all of the fallout comes on her to the point where she like her entire future is in peril Mm -hmm. and his is that he only becomes more popular and he creates a men's sympathy group Whoo! yep (laughs) that really got my blood boiling And here's the thing. It's not presented as a completely over-the-top ridiculous development in the world of the film. I think as viewers, we're definitely meant to be shocked and outraged on Drea's behalf. But to me, it also just felt really authentic. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a very narrative Hollywood thing to do, but it also felt tantamount to all of the things that we've seen about sexual predators on various college campuses who have like drugged and sexually assaulted women and then because they played for a football team or they swam or they were on the track team or they were at the head of a frat they all get away with a slap on the wrist if that right yeah and that was the thing it's one of those things where it infuriates me it's kind of like what we were just saying i i hate max but i love him because Mm -hmm. it gives me food for thought like this is a very rich text in this subject, you know, because what it shows me is that we're still living in the patriarchy, which I also Mm -hmm. love a movie that says patriarchy as much as this one (laughs) (laughs) Don't let the patriarchy hit you on the way. Oh my God. Yes. That was one of my favorite lines of the whole movie. Um, And I might get a tattoo or something of it. (laughs) But what I love is that it shows that the cishet men 
have the power to spin the narrative in whatever way suits them, you know? And if Max had wanted this to go away, it probably would have gone away, but he chose to use it for his benefit and make himself the victim. And that's how he ended up getting power from it. And it just, it was so frustrating. And I think it's just a different way we're used to seeing the assaulters respond. We are Mm -hmm. used to seeing them just deny, ignore, or, blame the woman. And we don't really see that. We see him just take all of the goodwill that would have gone to Drea and take it for himself. Right. Yeah. And he paints himself as first the victim after Mm -hmm. her physical assault that everybody witnesses. Mm -hmm. And then he actually spins her second attempt when she leaks all of the women that he's been sleeping with and and the texts and that kind of stuff on Valentine's Day. And I love that this movie is smart enough to acknowledge that people can use things like gender and sexual identity there's a way to use it in a negative capacity, like the the wokeness, the progressiveness that mm-hmm. people like you and I have been striving towards to better recognize people's authentic selves and to lift up women and marginalize people. Cishet men will find ways to co-op that to suit their own benefits. And that's how they have remained in power all of this time, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And that's why like the patriarchy, it's not like a set of actions. It's not the fact that women are predominantly the victims of sexual assault. It's not the fact that there's a, a pay gap. It's the fact that there is a power imbalance And that is the root of the problem. And the branches and the trees and the leaves keep shifting Mm -hmm. in order to keep that power imbalance going, you know. And that's why I think, I mean, I could see this as a backlash of, I I don't like saying it's a backlash to Me Too, because I feel Mm -hmm. like that phrase doesn't mean what it should mean in a lot of ways. But this is a way of men still using Me Too to keep themselves in power. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, this movie to me feels like it really has its finger on the pulse of where we're at right now mm-hmm. in the quote unquote battle between the genders, battle mm-hmm. between the sexes. I really appreciate that Sarah Michelle Gellar's headmistress knows exactly what's going on. Like she's not a deluded figure of authority or an adult who ha- has no idea what the teens are up to. Mm-hmm. She knows that Max is a bad dude. She mm-hmm. just knows that she can't fight his influence and his wealth because he is too popular and his parents are too well connected. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I'm blanking on the friend's name. Is it Tara? I think Tara. Yes. Tara. Yeah. Who ends up dating Max. I think she kind of knows that too. Like, Mm. I felt I was really conflicted with how I felt about her throughout the movie. Yes. But I like I get the the feeling that if her father was not connected with Max's father, she may have been a lot more willing to side with Drea and that she is kind of, you know, I, I feel like she's just kind of maybe a little bit weak in her convictions and is just kind of getting pulled around, you know? Hmm. No, I, I agree with you. I feel like that's you and I and other audience members having to do a bit too much of the labor because mm-hmm. especially in the end of the film when Tara comes into the, the sort of private bathroom that Drea and she used to hang out with and she hasn't been there all year because she dumped Drea for mm-hmm. Max. 
And she says, you know, I think I made some really bad decisions and I regret the way I acted. And then she dumps Max publicly at the party. I wanted to feel more for her, but Mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't feel any sympathy for her. And I still kind of thought she was a B word. Yeah, I feel like she kind of, and and in that way, I think she is very representative of a lot of people that just kind of do the bare minimum to get out unscathed, you know, and they're like, I'm going to kind of go with the wind and wherever Mm -hmm. the power seems to be, that's where I'm going to go. I feel like she does really genuinely have feelings, like friendship feelings for Drea. And I believe her when she says she misses the friendship, but also like, she has a lot of opportunities to not to reach out to Drea and we don't ever see her do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a tricky piece to navigate. This film mm-hmm. is around two hours, but it has a fairly big cast. And mm-hmm. obviously we're dividing our attention both between Drea and Eleanor, the respective love interests. So Max is the ex, but then Drea is falling for Russ, who was played by Risha. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Eleanor, we've not noted, is actually queer. And she has a burgeoning relationship with Gabby, who is Max's younger sister, played by mm-hmm. Talia Ryder. And folks, I, it took me the entire movie to realize that Talia Ryder, we have talked about before on the podcast, she is the best friend in Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, the abortion film, mm. which Jennifer, you have not seen. If you want a devastating film, go and check that out. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I think I kind of was not mentally prepared for a devastating film mm-hmm. when it was kind of in the zeitgeist and I just have not gone back to it. But, you know. Yeah, I can only imagine it plays even better now that we've defeated Roe v. Wade. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things hit differently than they did mm-hmm. about uh, six mm-hmm. months ago, you know? It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love this dark timeline that we oh, yeah. live in. <laughs> and by funny, I mean devastating <laughs> yeah, and nightmarish. Yeah. Yeah. Soul-destroying, yeah. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let, let's talk about some lighter things. <laughs> Jen, how many of these 90s callbacks did you catch in this movie? Oh, my gosh. You know, you sent me a list of them, and I am a little bit shocked that I did not catch that many of them. Okay. I think I was really just invested in the movie, and I wasn't really thinking too much about it. I mean, I did get the Romeo and Michelle. I got Mm -hmm. that. Um, I got, I found the little, uh, the clueless pencil just mainly because I use that meme a lot when somebody somebody (laughs) posts a picture of someone in a sweater because you Mm -hmm. know, I'm just perpetually thirsty on Maine. Oh, sure. But yeah, I didn't, I caught a lot of the soundtrack, Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure if that technically counts, but man, I dug the soundtrack so much. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that I feel like this movie would play very well to a contemporary teen audience, Mm -hmm. but then all of us who grew up consuming films in the 90s, like, because there was that rash of teen 90s films, like, that's when Hollywood remembered that teens have disposable income and they Mm -hmm. like to go to the movies. So we were just getting teen movies all of the time Mm -hmm. and do revenge is such a great throwback to all of those including things like using music from those films Mm -hmm. the other big piece i mean there's obviously sequences like when max's texts get released it's like the mean girls hallway confrontation Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of the costuming to me was so emblematic of different things like I ended up going down a rabbit hole about costume designer Alana Moore's head. Um, So her main 
reference point was Jawbreaker, the Darren mm-hmm. Stein film. Like you can see it. There's even a, a crucial scene from Jawbreaker. It's like literally framed and shot the exact same way. It's mm. really impressive. But some of these other references, it's so fascinating. So Drea Camilla Mendez is inspired by 90 supermodels. So Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, and Linda Evangelista. Mm-hmm. The George Michael video. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm, exactly. And then Nora is styled in the vein of Twiggy and a young Goldie Hawn, apparently. Mm, Okay, I can see that. (laughs) Max is modeled off of Harry Styles, so a more contemporary piece, but I really noticed it in his party look at the end of the film, the the kind of pink sheer Mm. number. Uh, It's like, oh yeah, I think Harry Styles literally wore that on tour recently. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, we've got the girls who are dressed somewhere between like the plaids of Heathers or Clueless. Yeah. The uniforms are very Clueless. And I don't think I quite put that together until I saw the article, but I kept thinking like, that's not what I remember like uniforms Mm -hmm. looking like, but I loved it. Yeah. Apparently they considered at one point going sort of more traditional, like a Mm -hmm. private school standard, but Mm -hmm. they wanted to make it, a little bit louder and sort of candy colored in the vein of Jawbreaker. And then mm-hmm. apparently Morsehead also drew from the capes and the berets of uh, schoolgirls in South Korea. Oh, interesting. Oh, I can see that now. Yeah. Apparently the film was also supposed to be set in like California or like mm-hmm. uh, the kind of West Coast. And then they switched it to... Miami because uh, basically they they needed to accommodate Maya Hawke's Stranger Things shooting mm-hmm. location, so they actually shot it in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, well we'll we'll change the the setting to Miami, and they mm-hmm. said, oh, stylistically, this is a much better fit for the kind of visual look we were going for in the costumes. Mm, interesting. I know, right? Because to me, a huge portion of this film is the kind of candy colored just super vibrant visual aesthetic. Mhm. I agree and I think I think the way they tied it into the characterization and the plot mm-hmm. I think works really well too. Like I actually believe that um Eleanor would not actually wear these clothes, you know. Right. And I when she says it's armor, I believe mm-hmm. that. I feel like I like her look better before the makeover, although I do enjoy the makeover. But that's partly because I don't know. And what you were saying about the ending of this, I don't know if I ever really buy Maya Hawke as like a stone cold bitch planning revenge, you know? And I like that I don't think we're quite supposed to. Like that doesn't ever Mm -hmm. quite feel like who she wants to be and she's just kind of taking this on to channel her anger in some way you know yes yeah like she she gets lost in the persona Mm -hmm. in in i think almost the same way that tara got lost in the i need to be popular for my father's sake because max is going to help his senatorial bid Mm -hmm. but because we're spending so much more time with nora we implicitly understand like this is not really who she is and i think that that's why the gabby scenes work so well because Mm -hmm. gabby grounds her and gabby is not invested in the same kind of like facade armor clothing thing right like she's very much the the casual lesbian with like the backwards cap and she's still super fashionable but it doesn't look like she stepped off of a runway right 
and she says something interesting that I found really refreshing too, is she's like, oh, it's okay if this is you, you know? Like like what I love is there's no shaming of these clothing choices. Like Drea just Mm -hmm. dresses like this because that's how she, that's her look. That's how she feels comfortable. And nobody ever really looks down on her or shames her. Like Gabby is just as stylish, like you said, as Eleanor. It's just in a slightly different way. And Mm -hmm. I love the idea that, like, you can look however you want. The problem is when you're trying to be someone you're not, you know? Yes. Yeah. If we think of this movie as a a kind of distant cousin to the films that we were getting in the 90s, so many of them were obsessed with this idea of, like, I get a makeover, I become popular, I become different, I can fit in with people. It's it's a very classic YA trope, but mm-hmm. it felt like that's where all of those 90s films were, in part because we were doing a lot of Shakespeare adaptations, and he's <laughs> constantly having characters go into disguise or uh, put on a costume to achieve their goals. And, you know, it, it plays with the theme of subterfuge, right? Like, you put right. on... A costume to fool people so that you can do what you need to do, sneak in, sneak out, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I also, like, there's, I don't know if this was intentional or not, it might be me stretching too much, but, like, with the idea of Drea being not really from the wrong side of the tracks, but, like, mm-hmm. she's a scholarship student, she has yes. to work over the summer, like, I was obsessed with some kind of wonderful when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Which have you seen that? Not in a long, long time. Oh, my gosh. I haven't seen it in a long time, too. So I imagine there are probably parts of it that don't hold up. Um, But it's also one of the most attractive Eric Stoltz has ever been. And he is one of my... Oh, like OG crushes. (laughs) Um, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it together. Um, But there's this idea, like if we look back at more of the teen movies of the 80s, when there was no diversity, like the only way to really make distinctions between your cast members was by their parents' income, you know? Of course, yeah. And so we've got her not wanting anyone to know where she lives, which Mm -hmm. I find so interesting like that they could be this close and they don't know where she lives you know that just that's a costume of a different kind you know oh absolutely and i i do think it's fascinating part of me almost wishes we could have spent a little bit more time unpacking that Uh i gather because we've seen these kinds of things before where it's like I always go to your house and if you drop me off or if you pick me up, it's like, I'll just meet you on the corner. And it's like Mm -hmm. the corner is a more affluent neighborhood that I've literally bust or walked over to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is something like there's obviously a lot of diversity in this movie, which I really appreciate. So appreciative. And so maybe we're that's becoming a way that we level that we like unlevel the playing field a little more, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, I think one of the things that Brenna and I have struggled with sometimes are films and TV shows that are trying to do diversity, like particularly contemporary ones, like within the last five or 10 years where they they recognize we can't have lily white casts anymore. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that too often they will just be like, okay, secondary character, you will now be a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And it's like, cool but you're writing her in exactly the same way and you're not addressing it and you don't seem to be interested in it you just are looking at the optics like well we can't have an all-white cast because when we release a still image from the movie people are going to be like what right Mm -hmm. 
So you have your, you're okay, star of mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, right. Yeah. But I, I like that this movie, it addresses it, but it doesn't feel like a burden. Like it's really desperate to make sure that you acknowledge it. But I think, you know, in one of the key moments of conflict, when Drea comes home and Nora has broken in, she's making grilled cheese sandwiches and Drea weaponizes it. She's like, uh-huh. I don't think you've looked at the optics here. How is it going to look for a white woman to come down on the scholarship woman of color? Mm-hmm. And I was like, ding, you just recognized it. You know, you're right. We saw Drea having to work this crummy tennis job. It's how Nora ends up recruiting her initially. And like the movie is savvy enough to have those moments in there without hitting us over the head or shining a flashlight on it so that we acknowledge, hey, there's class inequity here. Right, exactly. And there's another moment, I think, at the very beginning when she's talking to Allegra, I believe. I, I can't remember. It's one of the friends that ran together right. a little bit. <laughs> the girls got to blend together, the friends. <laughs> exactly. Which, side note, one of my other favorite lines is like, why isn't your first instinct to light someone's hair on fire? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, it is noticed a couple of times. And so it is a present thought. Like, I, I agree with you. I think this movie very much knows what it is and what world it lives in and Mm -hmm. what world it's depicting. Yeah, because for the most part, this is very wealthy people. Like, we are partying at people's mansions. We have absent parents, but we are talking about, you know, parents who either own companies or they're running for political elections. Mm -hmm. Everybody's driving fancy cars, but, like, Drea repeatedly has car problems. Mm -hmm. You can see in certain instances that she is, like, making or adding to existing outfits so that she can fit in, even though, like, the clothes in this movie are immaculate and Mm -hmm. stunning and gorgeous and just, like, totally covetable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, very candy. Candy is a a great word for it. And I just Mm -hmm. like, it's like the epitome of, I feel like Drew Barrymore and Never Been Kissed and her feather boa and sparkly makeup. It's like if that outfit became an entire movie, that's what I feel like this is. Mm -hmm. And then transition to Romy and Michelle for for the big dance. Exactly. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, and I loved that dress that uh, Drea was wearing at the end. I kept trying to figure out the neckline. I was Uh. like, this is so cool. I love it. Yeah, it, it's interesting because apparently I I almost feel like I have to go back and watch it again because mm-hmm. Morrishead, even in the school scenes where they're wearing their kind of school uniforms, for the most part, it's like it's capes, it's skirts, uh, you know, cravettes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, apparently if you look closely, all of them have individual like jewelry or even like the way that they're wearing their hair to help us distinguish them as characters and to give them kind of little unique identifiers Mm -hmm. yeah which i thought was really smart but never in a way that makes them stand out as like oh that's the the art kid you know or Mm -hmm. that like even the gardening uniforms are like kind of cute too oh for sure (laughs) i was like i'd work on that farm if i got to wear those overalls those are cute (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I love that the movie has an understanding that we need fun and sort of playful, but also slightly risque set pieces. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fun in the 10 Things I Hate About You homage when Drea is hanging out in Russ's art studio and they throw paint at each other because you're Mm -hmm. like, this is such an adorable meet cute. Like, you really want to root for them to get together. Mm -hmm. But then watching everybody get drugged (laughs) is like hilarious and then you realize like oh this is actually kind of problematic like 
this makes Drea and Nora not very good people because that is super dangerous. It really is. And I was worried somebody was going to have like an allergic reaction Mm -hmm. or somebody like it was going to go terribly wrong. And I think that that kind of is where a little bit of I feel a little bit out of step with the conclusion of this, because Mm -hmm. when Russ is saying you need to come clean, right, you need to say what you did, she's going to be admitting to drugging the entire senior class that Mm -hmm. that is a big deal and arguably worse than anything anybody else has done. Although another thing that I wanted to mention is what happens to Nora is bad. Like, Mm-hmm. Drea is essentially falsely reporting a sexual assault to yes. weaponize someone else. And I feel like that is, I was worried that that was going to fly under the radar. And mm-hmm. that was just kind of like a, a terrible story that we deal with in the first act. And I am glad that it came back around and that we did deal with it a little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, the the consequences in this movie are relatively fleeting. Like, the yes. things that we're doing, people probably would have served jail time for quite <laughs> a few of them. Mm-hmm. Although I love the recognition that because they're rich, maybe mm-hmm. not, you know? Yes, and I I feel like, again, to intersect with our class discussion, like, the film is very aware, like, I think it's really important that Russ has that conversation with Drea, and he's like, well, you need to come clean, because I'm a good person, you're a good person, do the right thing. And she's like, I'm not gonna go to some kind of faux rehab that's actually a spa. And I think that's why we needed to see Sophie Turner's Erica go there. And also then we could go and see Carissa there. Right. Because if not, we would have been like, well, okay, Drea's not a character I can root for. She's unlikable. She's not sympathetic because she's doing terrible things. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, but you do have to acknowledge she will not be treated the way that these white women will be. Exactly. Well, and you could even say that with the leaked sex tape. Like if that had happened to another character whose family has enough money to hire a lawyer Mm -hmm. to crush Max, like we wouldn't have been dealing with any of this either, you know, which is partly probably why he did it to her. Yeah. And I will say it's so simplistic, his rationale for why he did this to her. Mm -hmm. But when he says... I made you popular and famous and you didn't even thank me. It was like, I don't know that that will hit male viewers in the same way. But for female viewers, that misogyny, that that feeling that men are owed thank you mm-hmm. for women doing something is... It blew my mind. I was like, that is astute. And I worry that it just flew over people's heads. You know, it... To be honest, it flew over my head because I think I'm just so used to that attitude. You oh, know, but you were ex- so terrible. I know, <laughs> but you're exactly right. That is his only motivation is that he gave her a share of his power right. and she didn't make him more powerful. You know, yeah. he didn't get anything out of it. As though that would be the reason to do something, right? Exactly. And also, something he that's didn't do anything. Like, right. I'm sorry, you don't deserve thanks for dating someone. No, no. <laughs> Max, oh. He's the worst, but I I love the way that Austin Abrams plays him. So mm-hmm. we talked about him before on the show because he was in um he was in the Netflix adaptation. Oh gosh, I can't remember. I'm gonna call it Nick and Nora. It's not that one. It's the other like meet cute whirlwind romance around mm-hmm. New York during the holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he 
he plays a kind of smarmy jerk hole so mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. He knows just the right way to come across so that you know you hate him, but you understand why he would be able to get away with everything. Right. And I feel like the first time I saw him, I think, was in uh, Scary Things to Scary Stories to Tell mm-hmm. in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. He, he's the one that, well, spoiler, but he's he plays a similar character, mm-hmm. uh, just for not, not as long. But then I right. also saw him... <laughs> <laughs> like he gets his comeuppance a little earlier and it's there very satisfying yeah. but he also is in euphoria which have yes. you watched euphoria i have oh my mm-hmm. gosh i'm obsessed with that show but playing a very different character like mm-hmm. the kind of character that this max would probably pick on or right. ignore so he's got this ability i think to kind of ride that line where yes, he's got the confidence and the the moxie, if you will, mm-hmm. to kind of pull off this smarmy jerk who gets whatever he wants, but he also so easily could be on the other side. It's just yes. his circumstances that give him this power, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but the casting across the board for this film is exceptional. Like I agree. They, they understood the assignment and they got <laughs> absolutely fantastic people. Mm-hmm. I know. I love Maya Hawk every time I see right. her. And she's just, she feels like the perfect mix of her parents. You know, mm-hmm. like I, you can see both of them in equal parts in her. And I, I love her parents very much too. So I'm really happy to see her doing well. It's so true. And I, mm-hmm. it's funny because I feel like I bring up nepotism in a very negative fashion mm-hmm. a lot on various podcasts, but I will acknowledge there's several instances where nepotism has produced a genuinely talented, fantastic person. Mm-hmm. And I always think that whenever I see Maya Hawk, I'm just like, she is a bright light. I, I'm delighted whenever she shows up and things. I agree. Yeah, I thought the same thing about Colin Hanks for a while. And now I just really enjoy him. I, I feel like you get that little twinge of nostalgia, but I'm starting to see her as her own actress. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think she's going to be able to have a career that is is her own also. I hope so. Yeah, because mm-hmm. one of the things that always makes me slightly wary is whenever we see people showing up in multiple Netflix things as though uh-huh. they're under contract, like, all right, Maya, you will do Stranger Things. And then under the asterisk on page five, it says you will also do do revenge next year. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, luckily, this is actually a good movie because that could be mm-hmm. that could be what happened. You know, I think the same thing with HBO, although I rarely worry about the quality of HBO stuff. Right. But you see, I think they just are very good to the actors that work with them. Well. Part of the struggle that Brenna and I have had with streamers is that so often they are in a content bidding war where they are just trying to gobble up as much as they can and hoping that something will stick. This is a rare case of something coming out, building audience goodwill and actually earning and deserving it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of Netflix movies are not very good, and Netflix mm-hmm. does a not very good job of advertising them. So I was actually really happy to see that this came out and it did make a splash. And I think it is going to be one of those kinds of teen classics that people will go back and hopefully new generations will rediscover it and understand, oh, this is making reference to a bunch of other films that are canonical in terms Mm -hmm. of like YA development. Like the 90s is such a quintessential era for teen films. Mm -hmm. And I love to see 
this film paying homage to it, but also hopefully encouraging people to go back and revisit some of those. I agree. And I think a lot of that, like it, it understands why the 90s movies were important for teen film too. Yeah. You know, it's not just like taking the feather boa or the feather pen and just calling it a day. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like it is actually engaging with 90s movies. And I didn't even notice the scream fountain too. A lot right? of my, my 90s references <laughs> are the teen horror movies. But I also wanted to mention, uh, I think a lot of the success of this movie is on Camilla Mendez's shoulders, too. Mm-hmm. And she we've talked about her character a lot, but like she kills this role. And yeah, I love her. <laughs> I, I think that this is such a tricky balancing act, like mm-hmm. implicitly, you, it's easier to side with Nora for a large part of the film because she feels more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And I think that Camilla Mendez has a much harder job of, oh boy, conversations about female likability. <laughs> I don't ever think that Drea isn't likable. I just mm-hmm. think that she is put into positions where it's harder for us to remain sympathetic to her plight because she is so driven. And the internalized misogyny tells me like, Drea girl, just take it easy. Like you don't need to push so hard. Right. But the reality is, is that she does. Right. She -hmm. is driven to all of this because of her class, her race, and the fact that she has to hustle two times as hard as anybody else. And I love that her ultimate goal is to go to law school, you know? It's not like to be the queen of the school. There are legitimate reasons why this this leaked tape would ruin her yes. co- her chance at college, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think as far as, like, her being likable, like, I think she she just really finds that line. Like, she's likable when she needs to be for the role, and she's unlikable when she needs to be also. Mm-hmm. And I think that – and that's the reality because – Women have to navigate that every day. You know, right. when do we just do what we need to do to get by? And when do we have to play the game? You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things I wound up appreciating most about this film. Like we've, mm-hmm. we've not said it. I apologize. I meant to do this off the top, but um, it was directed by Jennifer Caton Robinson and co-written by Robinson as well as Celeste Ballard. And I don't like to be the person who says, oh, you know, like a man couldn't have done this, but Mm -hmm. this just feels so in tune with what a complicated world it is to be a woman. Uh Uh-huh. And how many competing things you have to to weigh constantly, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I also have to just shout out I love a good Jennifer in the in the biz, you know? Mm -hmm. But I also The scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar at the end, too, like, I love that it ends with her not going to Yale, you know, like, like, uh, you don't mm. have to have everything right okay. now, you know, and I mean, okay, I, I, it feels like you don't totally agree with me on that. So I, I don't know, because I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with it, because I feel like she has been so driven, and it has forced her to assume roles and and take on airs that have Mm -hmm. driven her to do things she regrets right that aren't true Mm -hmm. to who she actually is but i also feel like what's interesting is that she is a career-driven girl right like Mm -hmm. she wants to go on and do these important things because she hasn't had those opportunities and those privileges so i don't know that i love it that 
you know, we get this satisfying moment where it's like Max has been defeated. He's lost his spot at Yale and this position opens up for her to like come in. Mm-hmm. And she's like, ooh, just now I'm not really sure anymore. I don't think it's a deal breaker. And it's not as though like if, if this were a true 90s movie, it would have been like Buffy or it would have been mm-hmm. clueless where it's like, I want to be a buyer. I want to be a shopper. I want to be a designer or something mm-hmm. like I like that she's wanting to go for something like a lawyer career. I forgot that Buffy wanted to be a buyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like her whole that that was a career she wanted for herself. I, I agree with you. And I think maybe. Maybe if I'm thinking through what actually made me feel good in that moment, Mm -hmm. it was the acknowledgement that it's okay to not put all of this pressure on herself, you know, because I agree with you. I I think all of this has been to get to that goal. And it's not like Legally Blonde where she, which I haven't actually seen, so I maybe shouldn't speak out of turn. But like, she doesn't want to go to Yale because her boyfriend's going to Yale. Right. You are correct. That is what happens. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I went to undergrad because my boyfriend was at that school, but it didn't work out very well for me. So if anyone mm-hmm. is listening, don't do that. But yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think what I what I like in that moment is just seeing Buffy say, you don't have to have it all figured out right now, you know? Right. Oh, and- I love that you call her Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> She'll always be Buffy to me, I This think. is true. <laughs> Although in these scenes, she's obviously Catherine from Cruel Intentions. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, she's also um, Helen also. I mean, right. just the the icon that this woman is, you know. Yeah. I just love- and that's I love seeing her in this role, too, because it feels like a – a passing of the torch in Mm -hmm. a way, you know, it's like she has got this wealth of experience and it's just like, how do I dole this out in a way that will be appreciated? You know, it's kind of like what you were saying about Max. It's like, she knows exactly what's happening. She Mm -hmm. just also knows the limitations of her power. And she also knows like, these are teenagers. They're not going to buy everything I say just because I say it, you know? Right. Yeah. She she knows when to push and she knows when to sort of say, okay, I'm going to let you go off and make your own decisions slash mistakes. Yeah. Like a true slayer, you know? <laughs> <sighs> a true icon. Indeed. Oh, yes. I love her. Also, just it's like, it's great to see Sarah Michelle Gellar back on screens again. I know. I get it that she's got apparently delightful family life mm-hmm. and she's doing like a bunch of sponsored brand crap and that sort of thing on instagram but mm-hmm. i'm just like girl you show up rocking this gorgeous white outfit mm-hmm. channeling everything that we miss about your former roles because we're not getting them anymore and it just it feels so effortless right like the minute mm-hmm. she shows up in this movie you just like yes perfection yeah, exactly. Perfect person for that role. Because she carries the weight of everything she's done before. And you know <laughs> exactly why she was the person that was cast there. Yes. I just, I just love it. Perfect. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like we could just keep going. So yes. I'm going to cut us <laughs> off. <Okay. laughs> so Jen, if people want to talk more about Do Revenge or... <laughs> 
80s Eric Stoltz. How would they get a hold of you? Yes, please talk to me about 80s Eric Stoltz. You can find me at Jen Ferratu on uh, Twitter and Instagram. That's Jen with two N's. And I love talking about this kind of stuff. Also, I meant to say, I love the conversation about whether do revenge is an actual, like, mm-hmm. is actually is grammatically, grammatically correct? correct. I know. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw this movie, I was like, what? So I love that acknowledgement. But yes, find me there. Talk to me about sentences, Eric Stoltz. And I write about a lot of this kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're interested, check that out also. Yeah, you you sure do write about a lot <laughs> of this stuff. It's usually filtered through the lens of horror. But yes, this is this is very much my jam. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if folks want to get a hold of me, I am at Beast on my remote. And if you want to get in touch with the show, you can reach us using the hashtag HKHSPod on Twitter. If you've got a long form email, we are still going to be collecting responses to the Lord of the Flies. So when Brenna is able to rejoin us, we will still do band book clubs. So if you want to send in those responses, you got long form email HKHSPod at gmail.com. And next week, we will have another guest rotating in. We're going to be talking about the 40th anniversary of The Last Unicorn. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I've never read the book, but I've seen the movie a billion times. So I'm very interested to see how the adaptation works. I've never read the book or seen the movie. <gasps> oh, Jen, the movie is gorgeous. Okay, Just, the animation is... I mean, I've said perfection like a million times at this point, but <laughs> it is a genuinely scary film. It terrified mm. me as a child. I remember like seeing it and may- that might be why I didn't watch it because I was scared. <laughs> mm. The Red Bull is terrifying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, so that is next week. But Jen, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on Do Revenge. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Ah, so until The Last Unicorn next week, folks, we will see you on the screen and on the page. We see these two girls, Drea, who's played by... Off to a great step. Um, <laughs> like, there's a way to use it in a negative capacity. Like, the, the wokeness, the progressiveness that mm-hmm. people like you and I have been striving towards to better recognize people's authentic selves and to lift up women and marginalize people. I can't spell. Men... <laughs> 